0: Welcome, everyone. We're starting a new book this month, Daring Greatly of Brene Brown. And I have to tell you, I fell in love with Brene Brown, I think, when I first saw her TED talk and immediately went out and um, ordered a couple of her books. And uh, so uh, I was really delighted uh, when this book came out and thought this will be perfect for our Sunday. And I ordered the book and I read the first chapter and I said, Daring Greatly, but the book's about vulnerability. And I thought to myself, well, we'll just put that sucker aside and (laughs) see if we can't find something a little easier to talk about on Sunday. And I realized in the instant that I nearly did that, why it's so important that we pick up that book and why we are going to talk about it on Sunday. And I think there's a misnomer that vulnerability equals weakness, that, that somehow our uh, bearing our souls, if you will, somehow our ability to, to share and live with ambiguity, that, that place where we do gra- uh, dare greatly and step out of our comfort zones, that, that somehow that puts us in a position of weakness, that somehow that portrays us as less than. And I want to just dispel that this month. Uh, we don't need to think about vulnerability as something less than. I think we're gonna discover that it actually puts us in a position of great power when we do it well. i want to start with a, a short reading from, uh, from the introduction here, from the first little bit. She says, what I've spent the past several years talking to leaders, parents, educators about is the truth that forms the very core of this book, that what we know matters But who we are matters more. Being, rather than knowing, requires showing up and letting ourselves truly be seen. It requires us to dare greatly, to be vulnerable. And the step first of that journey is understanding where we are, what we're up against, and where we wish to go. I think we can best do this by examining our lives as they are today. And so one of the places I think that we ought to observe is just a little bit of what's going on in the world. Have you noticed the degree of sort of posturing? Have you noticed the, the, the kind of frenzy in the media and social media about taking opposing sides and the importance of being right rather than being maybe generous or compassionate? Have you noticed that sometimes it seems like it's more about how many people like you on Facebook than how personally open and loving you are in real life. In fact, I think some people have confused social media with real life. And, and of course, it's a part of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, mean, I love looking at people's pictures on social media as, as much as the next person. But, but I think we have begun to see ourselves as an extension of social media rather than social media being an extension of who we authentically are. And so perhaps a place to start with this idea of vulnerability is just talking about some of the moments that we have felt the most vulnerable in our own lives. And Brene Brown uh, collected, she did a little study of people coming to her workshops and whatnot and just simply asked them to fill out the end of the question One time when I was most vulnerable was, and here are some of the responses um, that she got. I was most vulnerable simply sharing a very unpopular opinion. I was vulnerable standing up for myself when I thought I would fail. I was vulnerable in starting a new business. I felt very vulnerable helping a loved one through a cancer diagnosis. I was vulnerable laying off employees. I was vulnerable admitting to a good friend that I was afraid. I was vulnerable admitting I was wrong. <laughs> Here this one came from a young uh, teenager. I was most vulnerable dating and the first time that I fell in love. I was vulnerable switching careers in midlife. I was vulnerable asking for help when I needed it. This one from uh, a young woman. I was vulnerable getting pregnant after I'd already had a miscarriage. And another one, I was uh, vulnerable telling the boss that you're not going to make a deadline. When I think back in my own life of sometimes that I was the most vulnerable, um... You know, I've had a few career changes along the way, and I guess you can call ministry a career. I mean, I mean, some people call it a calling, but this is another reinvention of my life, and I remember a few of the career changes along the way. Literally, I was either laid off or quit Not knowing what the next step is. Have we all pretty much been in a position of a major life change? Maybe it's getting single again. Maybe it's getting fired or let go of a job. Maybe it's purposefully taking a chance on some new course of direction. And you don't even have a real clue of where the outcome is yet. Maybe you've moved across the country Maybe you've uh, stepped out of a, a long relationship and you're living on your own. Maybe you've moved away finally for the third time from your parents and not thinking of going back again this time, right? These are vulnerability issues big time. But do they feel weak? See, I think the equation or the idea that vulnerability is a weakness, if you just examine the things we do when we're feeling vulnerable, I think you get quite the opposite opinion. I think it is great bravery that allows us to be vulnerable in that way. Taking risks on love, taking the ambiguity to heart and just saying, no, I can do this. The universe is here to support me, right? I can do this, I can take a chance, I can live with not knowing exactly what's gonna happen. That, I think, is true vulnerability. And I'm gonna talk about it a little bit more. First of all, she defines vulnerability in a scary way, I admit it, vulnerability is uncertainty, risks, and honest emotional exposure. It's like, yeah, sign me up for more of that right? I get that. I get that. And I totally get, in fact, the pushback because I have been there. I have witnessed the pushback to that in my own life. Sometimes when you're embarking upon something new, everything in your life is screaming at you, don't do it. You're going to be a miserable failure, Don't take the chance. It's better to play it safe. And in fact, I I liken it to something that I remember from the 60s. And I know most, many of us were here in the 60s. Remember when hairstyles were unusually big, right? And do you remember the hairspray called Final Net? And they're just big clouds. And I have to admit, I actually had big hair in the 60s. And I remember getting a can of, fi- I mean, the can- because hairspray was like a big thing then, the cans were like this. And there were clouds of it in the bathroom. And I got to tell you, when my hair was done, I could be in a tornado. <laughs> and it still would look just the same. I think that's what we want to do with our lives sometime. I think that when we get things working sort of okay, it's like we get out the final net and we are resistant to change of any kind. We don't want the kids to grow up. We don't want the new job. We don't want a sense of freedom because with freedom comes risk. We play it safe. We might be in a miserable job or a terrible relationship and we stick it out, not because it's really serving us anymore, but because we've put the final net on. I'm I'm adverse. I mean, I want the the wind to come and everything still perfectly in place. But do you see how this really isn't possible? The universe is a universe of change. And if we try to maintain the position that, well, that's fine for other people, but my life is gonna be stable. My life is gonna be changed. It's pretty much working okay. No one has died in the last week, so I don't want anything different. Do you see that if this is the way we maintain our lives, we never make any progress? If this, if the final net descends, Where where is the freedom moving forward? Where are the aspirations? Where is the great new love and and the great risk that turns into the great reward? So I want to talk about these three elements of vulnerability. Uncertainty, risk, and honest emotional response that she talks about. Well, first of all, uncertainty, we just have to get used to it. And the more that we actually learn to embrace change rather than avoid it, the more we're okay with our hair just flying in the wind, we will actually begin enjoying changes as they come and we'll be able to shape the changes as we come. One of the reasons that we don't like change is we have the feeling it's being done to us that the boss is coming down with these rules that we hate or, uh, or some change is coming in, whether it's government or in our households or the, the new policies of the electric company or whatever it is that we're in resistance to. We feel like it's being done to us and we dig our heels in and we wish for the good old days. Well, the good old days probably weren't that good to begin with, right? Because as we, as we mature, we have this kind of fantastical idea of how good the past was. Well, first of all, probably not accurate. But second of all, to live in the past again is that whole final net idea We need to be ready for greatness and beauty and joy to come, and the only way to do that is when we can help make the changes. We don't make the changes, we don't participate when we dig our heels in resistance. We need to plunge ahead bravely, we need to dare ourselves to be part of the new things. And in fact, my recommendation is is to think of them as cool new opportunities, even when our initial reaction is holy heck, I'm not gonna like this. Next time you have that holy heck, I'm not gonna like what's coming down the path, I wanna suggest to you that when we dig our heels in, it will feel like a nightmare. And when we're open to participate with it, when we're willing to come forward and say, I'm a little bit afraid of this, but I want to work through it, that is when you actually get invited to help make the decisions. That is how the changes start becoming more palatable and even perhaps wondrous for you. The other thing that she talks about is taking risks. Sometimes... Risks are just risks. And I think the best way to introduce this one is talking through a joke. (laughs) So there's a monastery in Tibet perched high in the mountains. You have to hike for most of a day just to get to the base of a cliff that rises into mist-shrouded peaks. From there, the way to the entrance is being suspended in a basket and being pulled to the top by several monks. Well, obviously, the ride to the, up the steep cliff in that basket is terrifying. One tourist got exceedingly nervous halfway up as he noticed that the rope must be over 100 years old <laughs> and is a little frayed. With a trembling voice, he asked the monk who was riding with him how often they changed the rope. The monk looked at the rope, looked back at the man, finally answered, whenever it breaks? <laughs> So I'm not advocating risks to be risky, but think for a moment. If we never risked anything, what would our lives be like? If you never risked being judged by that person that initially captured your heart, you would have never experienced love. If you were unwilling to risk failing at a new job, what, we'd be unemployed our whole lives? If you never risked uh, embarking upon some new way of being, whether it's a new hobby or a new sport that you want to do, what would life be like? See, I think we Americans in particular, and maybe right now in America in particular, we think that we have to be perfect at something from the get-go, right? Right? In fact, I've noticed this even in youth church. So, about 15 years ago, when I was the director upstairs, gosh, kids were game to try just about anything, right? Some weird new craft, some new spiritual experience. People, oh, sure, you know, let's do this. Let's give it a try. And, you know, it was big coloring outside of the lines and no worries. And even I have noticed in the last 15 years with young people, there is the sense of, "Eh, I'm not sure that I want to try this unless I think I'll be pretty good at it. I'm not sure that I want to take the risk to what? Be judged at not being proficient, even though that thing might be kind of fun. This is significant, I think, and I want to talk to you a little bit more about it. Are you willing to take a risk, even if you might be somehow perceived as not being perfect at it? See, th- there, there's a big fear here, and you're, you're looking at me like I should stop talking, which means I should keep talking, but. Uh, <laughs> who here has avoided doing something simply because they were afraid of how they would be perceived at it? All right, oh, you know, we really do have 100 people here today. Yeah, all right, <laughs> thank you, thank you. These are risks that are not going to bring death I think there's a part of us. Well, well, you're laughing, but what if it feels like that? See, my guess is that when we're afraid of being emotionally vulnerable, when we're afraid of taking a risk, when we're afraid of trying something new, that in some way it subtly feels like death in a way, like, ugh, like this is painful. I don't want to take the chance. We have to to take the chance. We have to be willing to move forward, and to move forward always implies taking a risk. You know, Albert Einstein said, a ship is always safe at the shore, but that's not what it was built for. (laughs) And my thought is, that's the essence of humankind. We're actually built for taking risks, all of the accomplishments of all time, whether it's personal, whether it's in science, whether it's in education, all of the progress we have ever made, someone took a risk to try something new. Someone also was willing to incur results that were substandard. Now, notice I did not say failure. Failure. Because I think that's the other thing that we fear from risking, is that somehow we will be a failure. Well, we're never a failure. We are never a failure. Sometimes we do things that don't work out as well as we had hoped. Do you see the difference? When we are willing to take a risk, we actually are willing also to have substandard outcomes to fumble a bit, to try new things, to be on the edge of learning how to do something better, we stumble, we make mistakes, we're in the process of learning, and ideally, we actually build that into our process. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when we embarked upon something brand new, if we had the mentality, oh, this is just gonna be a hot mess, But it's going to be fun and I know I'm going to be triumphant in the end. Do you see how different that is? It's the acceptance that as I'm a beginner, I will make mistakes. I won't be perfect at it. There will be messiness that may cause upsetness. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm actually planning on it. It's gonna be a good thing. It'll be it'll give me a chance to work on my personal skills as well as doing whatever it is. Do you see the difference? So I'm inviting us to take that one on as a point of daring greatly. All right, the last piece that she talked about is emotional exposure. And I have to tell you, uh, growing up as I did in a family whose emotions were kind of judged as being inappropriate, and and I know that sounds sort of crazy, how could emotions be inappropriate? But I got to tell you, you know, my parents were a little bit of the folded arm, you know, We don't celebrate a whole lot and, you know, we don't really express our anger. I remember when my mom would get angry, her voice would get quieter and quieter and quieter. And you knew you were in big trouble if she was talking like this. It was almost as though emotions should be hidden away. Is it riskiness? Is the thought that if I'm angry, someone will think less of me? I'm not sure the pathology involved here, but I do know that if we're going to be vulnerable, people have to know us for what and who we are. I have to make that risk too, that I might, out of uh, uncautious behavior, say things that are wrong, uh, portray my feelings in a way that are less than our ideal. I have to portray my weakness... Because if people are truly gonna get to know me, if I'm truly gonna experience authentic love with someone, they have to know me. Not, uh, you know, not some person in a picture frame. You know, I get that a little bit as a minister. I mean, I suppose it's natural that your minister, you kind of put him on a pedestal a little bit. There's kind of that idea, oh, he's a great guy, and he always knows exactly the right thing to say, and he's so virtuous, and I'm glad some of you are starting to laugh. (laughs) Because I'm probably not that guy. And I have to be able to stand firm in my imperfection in order to share life with you? If I come off as the aloof person who never makes mistakes, how much reality is that, right? We need to be free to be a hot mess now and then and to ask for help and to just lay it out. Just say, in this moment, this is how I am. I'm grieving. In this moment, I'm madder than heck. In this moment, Life seems on the shitty side. We have days like that. And when we can be up front with it, when we can share it with our friends, do you see how the connections are stronger then? It's not just fair weather friends that we have. Is everyone familiar with the term "feather fair weather friends? It's that idea, they're the people that you just say pleasantries with, but if something really goes wrong, you don't A, tell them because B, you're pretty sure they'll just walk away. That's what a fair-weather friend is. When the weather is sunny, when we're on an even keel, you know, it's, it's who we have lunch with. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but there's more than that. I would hope that we're all on the quest of another best friend. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you remember when you were like seven and off to first grade and your mom probably asked, well, did you meet any friends today? And you kind of took that to heart and you would just wander up to straight. Well, no, you're not a strange person, (laughs) but you just say, would you be my friend? And I know it sounds crazy and corny and bizarre as an adult, but what a fresh attitude. What a marvelous way of putting yourself out there. We're not perfect. We have flaws. And what I know, people will actually be drawn to my humanness more than some picture of who I think I ought to be. Surely we've all known people that they present themselves and there's just something about it that feels artificial. It's because it is. It's because you're not actually seeing who they really are. And it immediately brings up that peace in you that is just like, maybe we'll do lunch sometime. But that's, you know, that's going to be the extent of it. So to recap, the things that daring greatly cause us or invite us to do are to live with uncertainty and change, even champion it, if you will, It is to take risks, now maybe we do wanna check on that rope before we're raised up to the monastery. I agree, I'm not saying we should take risks in a foolhardy way, but oh my gosh, if we lock down our lives and not ever take a risk, we can expect a lifetime of exactly what we have now with little bits of it being chipped away day by day risks are necessary just to keep enjoying life. And then finally, emotional exposure. That idea that I am here to present myself, warts and all. I am here to be authentic with you, letting you know what's going on in my heart, letting you know what's going on in my mind. So I think we're going to have some fun this week, uh, excuse me, this month, talking about vulnerability. But I want to carefully present your first homework assignment, and I'm hoping you won't hate me too badly, Uh, because your first homework assignment is to figure out what part of vulnerability scares you the most. So here, you know, you might want to do some journaling about it. You might want to do a contemplation about it. Is it uncertainty? Is it risk? Is it emotional straightforwardness and availability? What About vulnerability, maybe scares you the most. That's part one. And part two is I would like you also to see how that might be holding you back. Are you not enjoying love as much because you're perhaps emotionally distant? Are you not enjoying life as much because you're unwilling to take risks? Is there a part of you digging your heels in and seeing the universe as a place of resistance instead of uh, a collaboration? So that's your homework for this week. We'll talk about it more next week and I'm gonna close with a final quote from uh, Ms. Brown's book here. It starts to make sense that we dismiss vulnerability as weakness only when we realize we've confused feeling with failing and emotions with liabilities. If we want to reclaim the essential emotional part of our lives and reignite our passion and purpose, we have to learn how to own and engage with our vulnerability and how to feel the emotions that come with it. For some of us, this will be new learning. For others, it will be a reawakening. Either way, vulnerability is the birthplace of love. It's the start of belonging. It's necessary for joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the true path. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. I call this thing God, but gosh, whether you simply call it the benevolent universe, whether you call it Jehovah, the the words I leave up to you, what I know about it is that it is the largest container of love itself. It is here to nurture and support us, and and I accept that into my own life. I know that my risks are only minimal compared to the rewards of life, I affirm for myself that my emotional availability is a strength allowing people to see me as I truly am and being okay with that. I affirm for myself that that ability to be okay and even champion changes in my life are there, are sweet, and bring the potential for life into, into greater relief. And as it is true for me, of course, I know that potential exists for each person here, that with a greater degree of vulnerability, our lives improve. We we put aside fears of change and, uh, and champion it, that our lives simply become better through this process of opening up and allowing our true selves to emerge. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate.